It's the largest single event of racial violence in the history of the United States, and most people don't know about it. We are still seeing and still have some of the remnants of that event, and more so that it was hidden, that it was in a systematic way, never taught, never passed down. On this episode of Connected, the AEP Employee Podcast, changing the narrative. And I'm just going to be honest. Uh, the 100 years just continues to remind us that it's been 100 years. Uh, next year, it'll be 101 years. There was a massacre, a massacre, right? We continue to emphasize the massacre. We understand that that's the attractive point, like what happened, the horrific nature. But we want people to know the rich, full history, the full history of what was Greenwood, what was here before Greenwood, you know, what happened after the destruction, and we need a place to tell that story. How people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, are leveraging a historical event to shape the future of how we talk about race in the United States. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bailey Coltice. History will be watching what happens in Tulsa this year. A hundred years ago, one of the worst outbreaks of racial violence in American history took place there. It became known as the Tulsa Race Massacre. And for decades, the city was silent about what happened. And when people find out that, I don't care what your background is, you begin to get fascinated and you're thinking, what? Why why have I not known this? (laughs) Why haven't I been taught this history? This is incredible. This is Phil Armstrong. He's the project director of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission. Phil's worked with AEP's African-American Employee Resource Group to help employees learn more about what happened in their community. Angela Howard leads the group's Tulsa chapter. She and her husband, Marcus, are active in Tulsa's Black community. We actually met through a mutual friend that introduced us um, of a church that I used to go to. And uh, he knew my husband, so he introduced us. And that's how we kind of met and got together. And I'm Dr. Marcus Howard. I am actually a senior pastor of New Life Training Center. Um, Also have my master's and doctorate in Christian counseling. Phil, Angela, and Marcus are going to help me tell the story of what's happening in Tulsa this year and why it's still relevant today. Now, Act One of this episode. Black Wall Street, Greenwood, and the Tulsa Race Massacre. In 1921, the area around Greenwood Avenue on the north side of Tulsa was an economic juggernaut. It was driven by Black-owned businesses and surrounded by Black neighborhoods. People owned their own homes. There was a hospital and a hotel. It was a thriving place that was frequently referred to as Black Wall Street. Oklahoma was this mecca of a place where Black citizens trying to escape the the um, post-slavery era found Oklahoma to be a place where we owned land, where black citizens owned property, and that they were building their own new way of life and pursuing their own freedom from persecution and can say, I own this, this is mine, and I can build upon it. The success of this area stands out because it was happening during a time when lynchings were common, segregation was part of life, and racial tensions were running high in Oklahoma and had been for decades. Uh, 1907, when 
Oklahoma becomes a, you know, a state and its first law, the first law that's placed on the books is Jim Crow to 1916 when the city of Tulsa creates a law, an actual ordinance making it against the law for black citizens and white citizens to live in the same community. Things were building. Racial tensions were building till you get to a Greenwood, the most prosperous of all black communities at that time, and the animosity, the jealousy, the rage that was uh, building because of of, of, of its prominence. People were on edge. And like most things that are on edge, it doesn't take much to push them over. On May 31st, 1921, there was a misunderstanding between two teenagers in an elevator in downtown Tulsa. One was a black boy, the other a white girl. It happened just before 11 a.m. The Tulsa Tribune was a headline article, front page, that said, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl on an Elevator. That paper, unfortunately, um, went into a very salacious uh, detail of characterizing Dick Rowland as this sex-craved uh, young teenage boy who tore the clothes, scratched the face, and tried to rape and attack this young, innocent white girl on an elevator in downtown Tulsa in broad daylight. Of course, being the times that they were living in with Jim Crow and segregation and the racial climate and animosity that was in Tulsa at that time, it was really just a tinderbox of racial tensions. And all it needed was a striking of the match to set it ablaze. And that article is seen as that striking of the match. That match started 24 hours of violence and devastation. The teen was arrested and taken to jail. A white mob surrounded the jail holding the teen. And rumors started circulating around Tulsa that the mob was going to drag him from the jail and lynch him. In response, armed black men who were veterans of the First World War went to the jail to prevent the lynching. Then, a member of the mob tried to disarm one of the veterans, and a gun was discharged. As many witness, eyewitness accounts, um, they were quoted as saying, quote, all hell broke loose, unquote. And the fighting began, and the shooting began there in front of the courthouse. Um, The um, three dozen black men retreated back to Greenwood. At that moment, the Tulsa Police Department, um, as recorded in history, began to deputize many of the white lynch mob. Um, The size numbers, uh, it grew to reports of being as many as 1,500 by this point. After these people were deputized, they crossed into the area around Greenwood Avenue. Homes and businesses were looted and set on fire. People were killed and residents were taken to other parts of the city where they were detained and put into holding centers. The Tulsa Police Department surrounded Greenwood. The fire department was held back just to make sure the fire did not extend beyond the borders of Greenwood. And they let each of these homes and these businesses completely burn to the ground. In just over 24 hours, the community was destroyed. When the massacre happened, 38 people were identified as victims. Today, the death toll is estimated to be between 1 and 300. It was the worst civil disturbance the country had seen since the Civil War. After the massacre, the dead were quickly buried. Many facts were buried along with them, and the leaders in Tulsa worked to keep those stories underground. 
These facts are laid out in the official report from the 1921 Tulsa Race Riot Commission. The group was created by the state of Oklahoma in 1997 to research the events that happened that day. One of the first things the commission did was change the event's official name. They called it a race war, a race riot. This was not a riot. An entirely different community invaded and marched into a community. And when they named it that, it gave legal jurisdiction to the insurance firms to not have to pay out on any of their claims because of clauses on a riot. So that's why none of the citizens were ever able to get any financial remuneration because it was labeled a riot. We are still seeing and still have some of the remnants of that event and more so that it was hidden, that it was in a systematic way, never taught, never passed down. Act two, the hidden history. So this is a, an acknowledgement of the indomitable human spirit. This is a story about resilience. In the last few years, what happened in Tulsa has started to resurface. The events were featured in the HBO series Watchmen. PBS ran a documentary called Going Back to T-Town. And this year, LeBron James and his production company partnered with CNN to release the documentary Dreamland, The Rise and Fall of Black Wall Street. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, you're not alone. Today, the event isn't widely taught in Oklahoma or across the country. I can honestly say that I did not know this as a child. I did not learn about uh, Greenwood District and about the Tulsa Race Massacre until I met Marcus, until I met my husband and he uh, talked to me about it. My He took me to Greenwood and we kind of drove around down in that area and he was explaining things to me. And then after that, I began to do my own research. Dr. Howard grew up in North Tulsa in the 70s, not far from where the massacre happened. There, was, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it. Uh, in our community, we were really doing the best that we could to uh, maintain with what we had. And so there wasn't a lot of uh, looking backwards. There was a lot of pressing and pushing uh, to try to make things happen within different families, within the community. These things were not taught uh, to us as history. As an adult, Dr. Howard decided to start researching the events of 1921 to help him better understand the dynamics of what was happening around him. He was helping out in his community and kept running into roadblocks. I began to get really frustrated and angry because of what we just mentioned before. Uh, why come I wasn't taught this in school? Uh, why come I'm, I'm 20 something years old and I'm just now finding out uh, about the massacre? And uh, why was not the information readily available, uh, not just to me, but all those who look like me and those who don't look like me? Um, my, my thought process at that time, I, I can remember my thought process at that time was was if we had have known this uh, before, we may have done some things differently. Dr. Howard's father was a pastor in North Tulsa who shielded him from a lot of what was going on in the neighborhood when he was young. Dr. Howard's father worked multiple jobs so the family could have a better life. People in the neighborhood didn't really talk about what happened. It was more about focusing on where you were going. The Howards have four adult children and eight grandchildren. When they talk about the massacre with them, they have an approach that's similar to Dr. Howard's father. 
um, from time to time, we do have um, discussions about it, about what's going on right now. Uh, but I do know that it's not something that uh, we talk about on a regular. But if the conversations come up, especially with everything that's going on right now, uh, hitting the 100th year, um, it's been um, slight discussions or conversations, but nothing to where this is. Uh, we're, we're making sure that we're focused on this every week or every day, every month. We bring up the positive uh, facts before and after uh, the massacre, not not trying to dilute uh, what happened or to avoid the conversation, uh, but we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the negative parts. Right. Uh, we, we want our grandchildren being focused on the things that are positive. Right. thing that I, I try my best to do uh, is to help them focus on just what I said frustrated me, uh, and that is the fact that we had it, right? Uh, and that, uh, yes, it yes there, there was a massacre, which was a, and help them understand what that massacre really meant, uh, but also to help them move past focusing on massacre. Something that's talked about even less than what happened during the massacre is what happened after. The community rallied and they rebuilt themselves in five years. You get past the the, the massacre and destruction, then people find out that they rebuilt the community. And actually, economically, it was made bigger and better, actually almost twice the size. When you hear people talk about Black Wall Street, it's really the era after 1921, when in the 1940s, you have over 1,200 Black-owned homes, over 200 Black-owned businesses, over three major hospitals, over seven large grocery stores, and then the list just goes on and on and on. The, the heyday of Greenwood was really in the 1940s. After, again, after their community was destroyed, they brought it back and made it bigger and better. It's inspiration. It really is. From this tragic, horrific backdrop comes this wonderful story that is inspirational. This change in tone and opening up about the massacre is part of what's brought us to Tulsa. And I'm just going to be honest, uh, the 100 years just continues to remind us that it's been 100 years. Uh, next year, it'll be 101 years. There was a massacre, a massacre, right? We continue to emphasize the massacre. Act three, we can do better. As part of his job with the commission, Phil has been leading the creation of a first-of-its-kind museum, the Greenwood Rising Black Wall Street History Center. This is a narrative history experience. People come to Greenwood Rising, they get the history, they get inspired, they leave a commitment, and then they're invited to spend the day in Greenwood and go to these historic places. It's, it's really going to be a life-changing experience when people come here. In the late 90s, Tulsa and the state of Oklahoma became more open about the massacre and created the 1921 Tulsa Race Riot Commission. The commission's work paved the way for Greenwood Rising. Now, a hundred years after the massacre, the city's history that has long been hidden is going on display at the museum with hopes that it will change the future. Tulsa is really at a threshold, if you will, for um, being positioned for the state of Oklahoma, for the nation, and literally the world to find itself at a crossroads of true understanding of racial uh, harmony, racial division, and ultimately racial reconciliation. 
The museum uses different approaches to tell visitors about the history of Greenwood. This includes an immersive hologram experience. It's a black barbershop, one of the two places that to this day is considered a safe space for African Americans where they get their admiration, love, respect, support. To this day is, is the black church and the black barbershop or the beauty salon, the, the pivotal nature that those two organizations play in the black community. And so we pay homage to that by having this uh, an actual recreation of a 1920s, 1930s style black barbershop with authentic barber chairs, with every detail that you can imagine from the ceiling to the floor to the little trinkets on the wall, everything that caused you to step back in time. And you will see three holograms um, that are barbers. When you sit in the barber chair, they will turn and act as if they're cutting your hair while they're telling stories about Greenwood and the, the vibrancy of Greenwood. From there, the museum goes into the events that led up to the massacre, what happened that day, and how the residents rebuilt the community. It also presents how the community has declined in recent decades. Like many neighborhoods across the country, young people started moving out in search of education and jobs in the 1970s and 80s. And they never returned. So many of these mom and pops, when they died out, their businesses died out with them. And, and so we tell that full story, and again, this, all this history leads into the final chamber, which is the journey to reconciliation, an amphitheater-style space, classroom-style room where your docent will then sit you there with a group, and people can then will have programmatic discussion, intentional discussion and topics to talk about this difficult topic called race that we're still dealing with. No other museum has a space quite like the amphitheater in Greenwood Rising, a space that's dedicated to having conversations about race and racial bias. And I truly believe that the work we're doing with the history as a backdrop is creating a place for individuals to come and face these realities, face the harshness of what has happened in our past, and create a space, a safe space, for us to have, and I say us, all of us, let's talk about race. Let's talk about prejudices. Let's talk about biases. And let's talk about racism. And let's have a place that is dedicated to people of different backgrounds sitting in a safe space to have these conversations that ultimately ends up beginning a journey towards reconciliation and uh, harmony. Getting the country to come to terms with its past is a long process. We're not going to flip a light switch and things suddenly change. It's a journey and it's not going to be easy. But like any journey, it has to start somewhere. In everything, we have to first uh, accept uh, that there was an issue uh, and then we can move on. Until we accept that there's an issue, we can never move on past that issue because the issue is going to continue to come up and haunt us. And that's why I'm so excited about what Field and the Greenwood Rising is doing, uh, because they are magnifying what happened before the massacre. They're educating on the massacre, uh, but then they're magnifying what happened after the massacre. Uh, they're not sticking on the fact that that there was a massacre. They're educating on that piece, but they are focusing on the positive parts of the black community. The black community did it. They did it again right. and they can do it once more. Mm -hmm. Phil and the Howards both agree that we can't discount the power of having a conversation with someone and being open to what might happen. 
you know, when we come into that type of environment, come into that type of setting is to take off the hats, take off, of, mm-hmm. take, take, take off the you hat that it's about you and, and take off that the hat of what you may think you already know. Uh, you know, people are thinking, you know, what what's a conversation going to do? You know, you got a great, you got a chamber, you got a space called reconciliation and and people are just going to sit and talk and now race relations going to be better. It's the power that a conversation can have to break down barriers and begin people wanting to spend more time getting the information and changing their viewpoints. That's the magic that I believe a space like the Journey to Reconciliation and Greenwood Rising will have for people to embrace. It's not difficult. Just start with a conversation. Thank you to Phil Armstrong from the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission and to Angela and Dr. Marcus Howard for helping tell today's story. The Greenwood Rising Black Wall Street History Center is scheduled to open later this summer. Go to Tulsa2021.org if you'd like to learn more about the museum. The website is also a great resource if you'd like to do your own research and learn more about the massacre. When you're producing stories around the country during a pandemic, you take all the help that you can get. So I'd like to thank Carol Hicks and Joyce Roberts from PSO for their help behind the scenes with this episode. If you like this story, make sure to subscribe. Thank you for listening and stay safe.